The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. In chapter 4, verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. And in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Hallelujah. So that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Christianity, as we talked about last week, is not merely rule-keeping. If that's what it has been reduced to in many circles, Christianity is about Christ, amen? It's about what we have in Him. It's about who we are in Jesus, and the pinnacle of what we have in Him is what we call divine adoption. We are adopted into the family of God and within this truth we find really inexhaustible implications. In his book, Children of the Living God, a man by the name of Sinclair Ferguson writes, the notion that we are children of God, His own sons and daughters, is the mainspring of Christian living. Our sonship to God is the apex of creation and the goal of redemption. So if we want to really appreciate what we have in Jesus, who we are in Christ, we have simply got to understand what it means to be part of the family of God, to be what Paul calls sons of God. So here's the essence of what I want to preach today. You can write this down. The divine adoption means this fundamentally, that Christianity is not about religion, but it is about relationship. Christianity fundamentally is not about religion, but it is ultimately about relationship. Why does this matter? Well, people in the church who don't understand this principle are miserable. Christianity to them is just a set of rules to be followed. And their hope is that just maybe by the skin of my teeth I can get to heaven. And they never know where they stand with God from one moment to the next. They see God as kind of this unfriendly slave master who is just waiting on them to mess up. And I'm going to let you know today that that's not how God wants His people, His children to relate to Him. Is that how you want your children to relate to you? No, it's not how God wants us to relate to Him. He is absolutely a loving God 
who has given everything to redeem us, that we might have not religion, but a relationship with Him. And so we obey Him, not out of duty, not out of fear, but out of love and respect. And His commands to us, we've talked about this, are not burdensome, because our, the law is now written on our hearts, and our hearts become bent towards the things of God. And so Galatians says that we are all sons of God through faith. And so I want to begin by explaining what Paul means here by what we would call sonship, alright? So number one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. We're going to talk about sonship explained. Explain to you what sonship means from the Bible. Verse 26, Paul writes, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Now, don't get caught up on the word sons, because I know there are some who may take offense to referring to both men and women as sons. But here's what I want you to know. Political correctness here will diminish your understanding of sonship. Alright? Sometimes in church, you just can't be politically correct. Is that alright with everybody? And here's why it's important. Because number one, as sons... We are heirs, both men and women. That's what he's saying. See, in the ancient world, in most cultures, women could not inherit property. And so Paul uses the word sons here in a legal sense, not in reference to your gender. Meaning that we are all heirs, something that women could not be in that day, unfortunately. And the point is, men and women are alike legally. We are both heirs and thus all Christians, men and women. We are part of God's family and, and both men and women get to enjoy the inheritance rights and privileges of being God's children. So I think this is a, Paul is actually raising uh, probably the standard or the worth of women in that day. So this is not a, a slight to you in any way. I love this. Uh, in, Kim Te- uh, excuse me, in Tim Keller's commentary on Galatians, here's what he points out. He says um, that God is even-handed is gender-specific metaphors. Think about it. So ladies, if you're offended by being referred to as sons, just remember that we men are referred to as the bride of Christ. Alright, so God kind of evens those things out. So number one, what sonship mean? It means that we are heirs according to the promise of of Abraham. We are co-heirs with Christ. And that's a beautiful thing. Secondly, as sons, it means that we are clothed with Christ. We're clothed with Christ. Verse 27, he says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Amen? So to put on Christ, here's what it means. That phrase to put on, it means to have a change of garments. So through faith, we are clothed with Christ. Now let's talk about some implications there. Number one, an implication of being clothed with Christ means that our identity is in Him. Our identity is in Christ. Now, in most cases, you can tell a lot about a person by what they wear. I know people can deceive us, but normally you can tell a lot about a person by what they wear. When I got to minister to someone, when I go to minister to someone in the Madison County Detention Center, I can immediately tell, even if you put all of this in one room, who the office workers are, who the inmates are, 
and who the correctional officers are. All by what they wear. I remember doing a prison ministry, the chapel at Eastern, there in West Liberty, a, a very high security prison, and we all were together. Some administrative people, some officers, some church folk, and some inmates. And I had no trouble identifying who the inmates were, and who the correctional officers were, and who was part of our church. They made sure we knew how to recognize each person. And you could tell simply by what they wear. Remember working in a factory, and if you've ever worked in a factory, and I know you're looking at me going, you worked in a factory, really? It lasted a month, all right? Uh, and, and the people on the line dress quite differently, don't they, than those in the office, and then even further apart from those who might be in management or the plant manager. And then outside of work, though again, this can be very, very deceiving, you can make some pretty safe assumptions regarding social class, gender, or nationality based on a person's attire, can't you? Don't say you don't do it. Uh, we all make those assumptions. But here's the great thing about being clothed with Christ. It means that your social class or your gender or your race, none of that identifies you. Our identity ultimately is found in Jesus Christ. And that is a beautiful thing. And I'm not saying that we're ashamed of our cultures and, 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 and those kinds of things, but the world judges you based on certain things that are totally unfair. But God doesn't look at those things. He looks at the heart and He sees those of us in Christ. He sees hearts that are clothed with Christ. And I love that. Secondly, being clothed with Christ is the second implication. means that we reflect, you could say, the virtues or the character of Christ. For the first three years of my ministry here at Real Life, I, I lived in Lexington. And my board was so gracious because both of my schools, uh, both of my boys went to school in Lexington. The, the board was very gracious in allowing me uh, to work from home several days a week. I would only come to church and work a couple of days. And if you've ever worked at home, you know the temptation is to kind of to stay like in whatever you wear to bed all day. To get up and not comb your hair or, you know, whatever. And, and I thought, man, this is going to be great. I get up in the morning, I don't have to shower, I don't have to brush my teeth. I just dreaded though somebody just kind of stomping in, you know. But but I remember thinking, this is going to be great. I don't have to get dressed up. I can just kind of hang out and chill. And, and I'm going to get so much done. But here's what I found very quickly. That when I didn't dress for work, my work um, was probably about what you would expect of someone who wore their pajamas to work. All right? Like, it wasn't very good. I, didn't, I wasn't productive. I might as well have been asleep because suddenly when I was wearing pajamas, now don't picture me like in these, like old school, like footy pajamas. I never know. So, I, just a ball shorts, let's say. Um, listen, I didn't feel like working. Okay? Because my, something inside of me said, you need to be in bed. So I would take like 30 naps throughout the day, right? So here's what I learned. That if I would dress professionally, for some reason I felt more professional. I would tend to work more professionally. So I started wearing iron slacks and a polo, you know. And, uh, and, and I just got so much accomplished. And it's interesting that the way we dress often reflects who we are and, and what we will get accomplished. I mean, it has a bearing on the way that we act. Now, that's not always. Let me give you an example, one more example. Wearing a suit jacket does not make me any more spiritual. 
Alright? It doesn't make any more spiritual. And I don't think that the, the, the Lord cares at all as a pastor whether I wear a suit jacket or not. I, I haven't found that yet in the Bible. But to me, I, maybe this is how I grew up. I don't know. But for some reason, I feel a little bit more pastoral. when I, I don't feel like a preacher when I don't wear a suit jacket. So Sunday morning, Wednesday night, I'm in a suit jacket. Matter of fact, I'll just be really honest with you. This isn't right. I'm, I'm confessing to you. When I need a little help on a sermon, and I pull up YouTube, and I put a scripture in, and you know you can see the little preview, the picture of what the pastor looks like, I judge their theology based on what they're wearing. If they're in a t-shirt and holy blue jeans, I just assume they haven't been to seminary. And that's absolutely not true, because many that preach like that are, but I just don't take them seriously. My point is this, that our clothes are connected to somehow the way, the way that we're perceived in the way that we act. And here's what's awesome about that. When we are clothed in Christ, our attitude and lives become radically, radically different and you and I begin to imitate the virtues of Jesus. Think about that. See, under the law, Israel could not reflect the character of God even though they had the law because they didn't have the Spirit living in them. But our hearts, again, are bent towards obeying God and pleasing God because we have been clothed with Christ. And I love that. And there's one more implication here I want to point out. That putting on Christ, being clothed with Christ, means acceptability to God. And if you're here and you're a Christian and you feel like you're not acceptable, and you're wearing the shame from your past, I want you to know, being clothed with Christ means acceptability with God. A beautiful story in Genesis most of you are familiar with. And Adam and Eve sinned. That's not the beautiful part. But they sinned and Adam and Eve were naked as we know in the garden. And immediately when they sinned, their eyes were opened and they become very, became very aware of their nakedness. And so here's what they did. They went from enjoying the presence of God. They, they all of a sudden felt the shame and the weight of sin. And they realized their own nakedness and they hid from God. And God comes to, to, to him and, and to, to Adam and Eve and he, is, he deals with them and he deals with their sin, but he does something beautiful. He makes coverings for them and he clothes them. And he has been covering our shame ever since. That is what it means to be clothed with Christ. It means acceptability with God. I love to quote Keller again. He says this, to say that Christ is our clothing is to say that in God's sight we are loved because of Jesus' work and salvation. He writes, when God looks at us, He sees us as sons because He sees His Son. The Lord has given us His righteousness, His perfection to wear. And that's something we ought to celebrate today. So being clothed with Christ Reminds us that we are accepted before God, not because of what we can do or not do, but because of what Christ has already done. And we ought to praise Him for it. Amen? So what then is the process of being clothed with Christ? Look at verse 26. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. How does this happen? It happens through faith. For as many of you as were baptized in the Christ have put on Christ. So being clothed with Christ comes by the work of the Spirit through faith. It is a work of God's grace. This is not something you work for to achieve. This happens by the grace of God. 
Let me point out a scripture to you about, he's talking about baptism here. Here's what I think he means. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, this is Paul writing as well. And he says, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. So he's not talking about water baptism here. He's talking about the baptism by the Spirit when we are saved. The, the Spirit of God baptizes us into the body of Christ. And he goes on to say, Jews are Greeks, slaves are free. All of us were made to drink of one Spirit. So when we first trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, here's what happened. You and I were baptized into Christ, into the body of Christ, into the family of God. And thus, we became clothed with Christ. And this is what water baptism represents. It is an outward picture of the inner work of the Holy Spirit. So being a son of God, here's what it means. It means that we're heirs. It means that we're clothed with Christ. And there's one more thing. It means that we experience equality. And how timely this is. It means that we experience equality. And I'm going to... Say this maybe overused line again, but I believe it and I want it to be one of the mantras of our church. The ground at the foot of the cross is left. Look at verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So let me tell you that sonship has major social implications. Alright, write these down. Number one, certain cultures, this is what it means, certain cultures do not help you or hurt you as a son of God. He says there's neither Jew nor Greek. And what were the false teachers in Galatia teaching? They were teaching these Gentiles believers very erroneously that they had to convert culturally to Judaism. In order to be a part of God's family. And don't we judge people like this sometimes? We expect them not just to have faith in Christ, but to convert, excuse me, to kind of Western style of worship. Now there are there's a biblical framework that worship should be in, but sometimes as Pentecostals or Charismatics, we tend to judge people who aren't quite as boisterous as us. Not quite as charismatic as us. And we, we think, and, and I remember thinking this long ago, that like the church I grew up in, well, they're just not near as spiritual as us. You know what I found? That's not true. It's not true at all. They just don't worship in the same way, but their worship is still in spirit and in truth. It's not as crazy to me, their, their worship. Okay? Um... So as long as it's in spirit and in truth, I'm, I'm happy with it. And then there's some on the other side who would say, well, those crazy charismatics, don't they know that they need to be more reserved and more dignified in their worship? And so we, if we're not careful, we can do what the Judaizers did, and we can expect people to conform to our way of worship. But I would suggest to you that as long as it's a biblical way, that it's all right. Amen? So certain cultures don't help you or hurt you. Uh, the gospel, you know what it should do? It should cause us to embrace every culture. Not separate. Second implication here that certain social classes, not just cultures, but social classes within that culture, don't help you or hurt you. He says there's neither slave nor free. And 
Galatia is part of the Roman Empire and slavery was a big thing. And so in the world, you know, this being of a certain social class may get you shunned or it may help you out. If your mom and daddy are the right kind of people, they have the right amount of money in their bank, how I many know that sometimes you can get out of some things some other people can't get out of? Sadly, sometimes that preferential treatment is even given in the church. But you know when it comes to the kingdom of God, it doesn't matter what your social class is. That doesn't gain you preferential treatment in the kingdom of God. We're all sons. We're heirs according to the promise. No matter what social class we're part of. And, the, and one of the things I love about this church, and I, I feel like we do a, a pretty good job of embracing every social class. There's some churches who give preferential treatment to the rich, but watch this, probably more frequently. There's some churches who give preferential treatment to the poor because they think them to be more spiritual. And so we've got to be careful that we don't elevate either one of those people groups and say, listen, no matter what social class you're in, we are all heirs. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? There's one more implication here. He says there's no male and female. So here's what that means. Being a certain gender doesn't help you or hurt you. This means equality. In the ancient world, again, in many cultures, women had almost no rights. And they were often treated like property, not people. And unfortunately, that happens still today in some places. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, men don't get preferential treatment, even to women. Amen? Now, this text here, when it says we're not male and there's no male and female, this is talking about our justification, our inheritance. This does not mean that we become genderless or hermaphrodites. Okay? There, there are differences between men and women. Alright? There are different things that God has placed in men and women. Alright? So this text has to do with our justification, not gender roles. So don't use this text to say, well, see, there's no difference. And don't, don't use this, uh, this kind of gender argument that's going on right now. This does not mean, listen, the Bible teaches that men ought to act like men and women ought to act like women. There's a difference. God created them male and female. Okay? So, so there's something like to twist this verse and make, see, God doesn't care. We should all have, use whatever bathroom we want. No, you shouldn't. That's crazy talk, folks, alright? Don't use the Bible. Don't use the Bible to try to bring something like that in, alright? Wanted to clarify that. Here's what it means. We become part of the family of God by grace through faith. Not by anything that's in us. Alright? And it's a wonderful thing. So let me give you the translation. I want you to write this down. You ought to hang it on your mirror when you get up in the morning and you dash toward. Here's what that means. And I want you to embrace this church. My brothers and sisters don't all look like me. I wish I could get some help this morning. You know what's interesting to me in the, in the, in the I'm, and I'm not, I'm going to try not to get deep into this. I, I hate the division of our country. I absolutely hate it. And I'm, I'm never going to be a part of, of dividing it more. You know where my heritage is at? Everybody's talking about I, my heritage, my heritage. You know where my heritage is at now? It's in Christ. You know who my brothers and sisters are? It's red and yellow, black and white. Every generation, those who are in Christ. That's my family. That's the heritage that I care about. 
And I will fight to the death for my brothers and sisters, no matter what they look like or act like sometimes. No matter what social class, no matter what skin color, no matter what nationality, that's my heritage. Amen. 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 How terrorist Christian people try to divide. No, we embrace one another in Christ. Don't think the garbage that's going on right now is Christian at all. Christianity has no place for that. And don't go on Facebook. Don't in word. Don't in person. Don't buy into this. Don't add fuel to the fire whatsoever. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. And I'm off my soapbox now. Oh, it infuriates me. Back on this. Divine adoption, here's what it means. It means that we're clothed with Christ and that we are accepted into God's family. And we are joint heirs with Christ. And we ought to celebrate that glorious truth. And if we would, we wouldn't get caught up in divisions. That we would embrace unity. That's what it means. That's what sonship means. It means unity for the body of Christ. So, secondly, we talk about, and quickly, sonship Experience. I, I want to just bring out, for time's sake, I'm just going to go down to verses 6 and 7 here, chapter 4. I'm going to point out the difference between sons and slaves, or sons and servants in the Roman Empire. Verse 6 says, Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You are no longer a slave. You're no longer a slave. But a son, and if a son, then an heir of God. And I love this word. He uses this phrase, Abba. And that is the Aramaic word for father. And it's a very enduring ter- term. And many have compared it to saying daddy or probably more closely to papa. This is how you and I are supposed to approach God as daddy, as papa. And that shows again, that clarifies what I'm saying this morning, that this is not a religion, essentially. It's a relationship. Christ didn't come and bleed and and, and, and give His life so you could be religious. He came so that you could have right standing with God the Father and have a relationship with Him and be filled with His Spirit. The Galatians, see, they wanted God to just accept them as servants because they bought into this false teaching that they had to go back to the law. And they were trying to go back. Here's what they needed to know, that they were already sons. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? The young, younger son, his father was wealthy, and he took his inheritance early, and he went out and he left his father's house, and he spent it on prostitutes and wild living. And when he hit the bottom... He thought to himself as he was dining with pigs. He said, listen, maybe he had this thought, maybe I could go back to my father's house as a servant. So he makes his way back to his father. His father meets him and embraces him. And his father would not hear of him being treated as a servant. Because he is absolutely, emphatically a son. And sons would not get treated like servants no matter where you've been. And that's a picture of what Israel was doing. They were wanting to go back and say, well, maybe we could just be servants in the kingdom of God. And God is saying, no, you're not Jews. 
But I brought Gentiles into the fold now. And you get to be treated because you are a son. You get to be treated like sons. It's a beautiful picture. And so I want to close by listening just a few ways in which being a son is different from being a slave. Number one, the son is like his father. The slave is not. Now how many of you would, men would say uh, growing up, and I don't want to be like my dad, and you find yourself sometimes being exact. Connor, my son's raising his hands. Uh, both hands in the air like, Dad, I don't want to be like you. Thank you, son. It makes me feel good. I can't tell you what Paul did follow me as I follow Christ, and my own son doesn't want to follow me. Jerk. Sure. I don't know why that's funny, but... Listen, the son is like his father. My dad, um, out of my brother, my mother, and my father, my dad was the least, I, I spent the least time with him growing up. My dad worked a lot, he worked odd shifts. But you know who I find myself acting a lot alike? My dad. He has this weird sense of humor. If you know me, you say, where did you get that? It's from him. And I find often when we are in the same room that I tend to think a lot like him. Nikki has to remind me sometimes, not always in a positive way, Chris, you're acting just like your father. Sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes it's not. 2 Peter 2, verse 4. God has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you might be partakers of the divine nature. Did you get that? We're partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. Since we have the Spirit of God living in us, God's nature has been imparted so that we're able to reflect God's character. Able to reflect His virtues and His heart. And through the process of what we call sanctification, we begin to look more and more every day like our Father. More and more like Jesus. And under the law, people just became frustrated because they wanted to serve God, but they just couldn't. But now the law has been written on our hearts. We have the Holy Spirit. And we have the blessing in the new covenant of being able to reflect the character and the virtues of our Father. It's amazing. The Son is like His Father. The slave is not. Secondly, the Son has a Father. The slave has a Master. This is massive. This is what's wrong with a lot of miserable Christians. They see themselves as a slave in their relationship with God. Not a son. If you see yourself as a slave or a servant and you see God as just nothing but a master, you'll never know from one minute to the next where you stand with Him. You will never lay your head down on your pillow at night in peace because you won't know if I wake up in the morning, is He going to be so frustrated with me that He'll just throw me by the wayside? And replace me with somebody else. You will not enjoy the privileges of sonship. And you'll miss out on the things that other Christians seem to be enjoying. And you'll be tempted not to go to Him. Because you'll see Him as a harsh and unconcerned leader, ruler. Like He doesn't care about you at all. But as a son, as a daughter, you know that you can call upon your Heavenly Father at any time. Such a free way to... When Jesus taught us to pray, He didn't say pray, Our Master who is in heaven. 
He said, pray our Father. What an intimate, endearing term that we're supposed to go to God with. It reflects the heart of our God that He wants us to come to Him. And we're not burdensome to Him. And I love it. This last week, my, my youngest son called me. He's uh, super proud of him because, uh, and I'm a little bit uh, leery to compliment him now after he just threw me under the bus, but... Um, I'm proud of him. He's, he's doing junior ROTC. He's doing band. And he's just busy. Yesterday from 9 o'clock to 9 o'clock he was at school and working. And I know a lot of our students are busy like this. It's incredible. So every day after school he's, he's exhausted and then he has band or ROTC or something. And so he calls me on, uh, I think it was Friday, Thursday or Friday. He said, Dad, I think it was Thursday. And he said, Dad, I, I'm hungry. And uh, that may not seem like a big deal to you, but Connor's very independent and uh, needs very little from us. And there's times you wish your kids would grow up a little bit slower. And uh, it's nice to know they still need you every once in a while. He said, Dad, I, I need a snack. I'm really hungry and I'm going to be sick if I don't eat something. And so um, I was in the middle of studying, but it was not a burden for me to drop what I was doing and to go and provide something to eat. And I look at it as, a, as, a, as an honor. And you know, that's how God is. And a lot of you may be reluctant to say, well, I don't want to bother him. I know he's got a lot going on. You, you're looking at him in the wrong way. When you see him as a father, you understand he, he, he just, he compels you, he implores you to come. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. We need to come to him. Let me give you one final implication, and we're done. The son obeys out of love. The servant obeys out of fear. We've talked a lot about grace, haven't we, in this book of Galatians. And again, people will say to me, Pastor, you've got to be careful because you're going to give people a license to sin. But I don't see it that way. Because if I can get you to understand who you are in Christ and what Christ has done for you and the fullness of what you have in Him, you're not going to want to sin. And if you're really saved, if you really have the Spirit, you're not going to want to sin. Obedience is important for the New Testament Christian. Just like the Old Testament. But the motive is totally different under the covenants. Okay? The, the Israelites in the Old Testament, the Pharisees especially, they were driven out of fear. That's why they even added to the law. Because they were trying to achieve some moral high ground through their own performance. We've got to do this perfectly or we cannot be acceptable for God. And so they're Fear motivated them. But under the new covenant, when God's law is written on our hearts, and we have this precious spirit, and we realize all that He's done, and we're, we are who we are because of what Christ has done, you know what that compels us to do? It compels us to obey for completely different reasons. That is that we obey out of love. Out of love. So Paul says at the end of Galatians chapter 2 that that's his motivation because of all that Christ has done for him. It's not payback. It's not fear. It's an overflow of love in my heart. That's why I want to please him. So I say this again. Christianity fundamentally is about relationship. Not about religion because we are relating to God as not as servants, but as sons. And I'll say his daughters as well that have full access to his inheritance.
That's a glorious truth. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.